0: You're,
1: You're listening, listening to, to the Umbrella Cast. Cast.
2: Cast. Cast.
3: Cast. Welcome to the Umbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. Joining us to break down the week in media and marketing is Tim Burrows. Hey, Damo. Brittany Rigby.
4: Hello.
3: Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. And Xander Wilson. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Xander will be chatting with head of the Triple M network, Mike Fitzpatrick, about new breakfast shows and a brand-new radio station, plus a look ahead to the first rating survey of the year. But first, it's been a week of chief executive appointments. Nine names stands. Mike Sneesby is CEO... And multiple appointments in Adland at UM, Ogilvy, Leo Burnett, and Havas. Hugh Mark's successor as Nine CEO has been revealed to be Mike Sneesby in a media event held by Chairman Peter Costello at its headquarters in North Sydney on Wednesday. Sneezeby, the CEO of Nine streaming service Stan, will take the helm in April, with Mark's remaining available to assist in the transition. The announcement saw Nine's share price set a new record high of three dollars 07 seven, a market capitalisation of five point three billion dollars. Tim, you were at the event uh, on Wednesday, how was the vibe there?
1: Yeah look it was it was one of those ones where as these things always happen you want it to be you you plan for it to be a surprise and it always comes out a few minutes early so as uh, as we were all gathering the uh, I think the Australian Financial Review was the first one to to get the report that it was indeed Mike Sneesby so that that happened maybe 20 minutes or half an hour before we kind of went and uh, took our seat in uh, in, in in the uh, in the big New studio in Nine's Headquarters I can't remember if it's called Studio A or not Presumably it is Studio One or Studio A And um, yeah I'd say there were probably About 20 people or so in the room You know some mixture of journalists and See, they they threw some production levels at it, so there were a few sort of camera people because they were they were live streaming it. I saw I saw a couple of uh, makeup artists leaving as we were on the way in, so I think they'd given them the whole the whole powder puff treatment as well beforehand. Um, but yeah, so the uh, you know the the vibe by the time it started though, and the chairman Peter Costello and Mike Sneesby actually walked out. Everybody already knew the choice was Mike Sneasby so there there there, there wasn't the big reveal as such.
3: Can Considering the fact that they called the conference only a few hours ahead of it, that was a decent turnout in in COVID times to get everyone into the studio. But uh, I think one of the big questions coming up will be what's this shortish transition period going to be like, the, the month of March before Sneesby really takes over. Did they detail that at all, Tim? Well,
1: he talked about the fact that he'll be stepping up on April the 1st and uh, a a few times there were kind of sort of detail questions for him and the answer was very much, well, I'm going to be spending the next few weeks getting my head around it. Um, So uh, I guess the, the key things for him are a much closer understanding of the publishing side of the business, closer understanding of the broadcasting side of the business, and of course closer understanding of domain, of which Nine is still the major shareholder, Um, and of course that's a big sort of source of their wealth as well. So a lot for him to get up to speed. Now, um, we'll we'll, we'll maybe talk about it later in the conversation, but the fact that um, Hugh Marks isn't very well at the moment, his predecessor, presumably that may change the handover in some way as well.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. And also to bring in the other people in this situation as well, and I might throw to you here, Britt, because I know you've been looking at this a lot. Mike Sneesby is stepping into a business that has a few people in it who we thought were in contention for the role as well. Uh, The names that had been touted quite widely, uh, Michael Stevenson, Lizzie Young, Chris Jance, of course, uh, are they going to stay at nine? Uh, will this be quite a smooth transition? What's the market saying at the moment? What are we hearing?
4: The million-dollar question, demo mm,
3: Questions.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the big challenge that Mike faces pretty much from the get-go, right? And and this isn't a reflection of, you know, Michael Stevenson, Lizzie Young, Chris Jantz's kind of approach or mindset at all, but the nature of it is if they feel like they're in a position to take on a CEO role or to take a promotion or to really step up and that hasn't happened you know it's a natural question to be asking well will they try and get that elsewhere the hard part is is that there's not much happening elsewhere what what other jobs would they step into so look I think that that's almost a question for Sneesby to start trying to figure out with them directly and trying to get them on board really quickly and trying to, you know, the three of them, Jance, Young, Stevenson, have worked quite closely together as part of that main nine business. Sneesby's been a bit of an outsider to the market, kind of operating a little bit on his own, you know, at Stan. So I think his first, first you know, priority really needs to be getting them on side getting a sense of, you know, what they want out of his leadership, what they, you know, see as the future of nine, and then trying to, you know, really keep that executive team stable, particularly as, you know, the board tensions continue to attract attention and and there's potential instability at that level.
3: Peter Costello was obviously quite adamant that those tensions didn't exist uh, or a bit of a Uh, a figure of the media's uh, imagination tim do you have any more sort of insight into just how real those tensions are
1: well i must admit i was a bit mean in the way i kind of structured my i I got to ask the first question in the press conference and i was i was a bit mean in how i structured the question and i sort of put it to him that i've just read in the sydney morning herald that the board is fractured because of course it's a bit hard for him to Complain too hard about his own newspaper's reports. He did admit that as well, didn't he? He, he was did. very careful to say that that yeah. was obviously their brand. Yeah, he acknowledged that Nine is a you know is a is a media company itself, so you you can't really complain about the weather in in that extent. Um, he was insistent that the the, the board was united. Um, I noticed that he definitely at no stage when he was talking about the choice of the board, he talked about them being united. He did not talk about them having voted unanimously. And from all of the reporting we'd seen beforehand, I think probably there was more than one choice amongst the board because it seemed to come down to three people. You know, as um, as uh, uh, as Britt was saying, you know, Chris Jans was 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 still in the running towards the end, and then there was at least one external candidate in Carl Fennessy, you know, sort of from the production sector. And um, it may be in the end that you know Mike Sneesby was 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 in some way a sort of compromise candidate amongst the amongst the whole board. But you know, I. I I guess if there's a couple of circumstances that made it not perfect for nine in making the announcement, it it was the fact that there are suggestions of this sort of the old guard of the board, the Nick Faloon side that had come through Fairfax and the kind of the nine side of the board, obviously led by Peter Costello not being completely alone now that's really bad news for a ceo you know i I'm, I'm going to try not to be too boring and for the next few months every single one when i was writing my book but when, when you i was were writing, writing your my book. book one of the things that really became obvious was every success story over the last decade and there have been some has been when the ceo has been backed by a completely united board is absolutely it's a prerequisite of success i can't think of any examples where a divided board has still succeeded so it's really important they sort that out and then i guess the other you know kind of less than ideal circumstance but clearly nobody's fault was with 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 you marks being un, un, unwell in hospital with what they said was um some form of infection um wasn't obviously there to do you know to do the handover, uh, so. Look, you know, I've seen much worse starts. You know, I think of Michelle Guthrie when she did her first interview as the boss of the ABC, where you know, I, I never, I never measured how many times she used the words "you know," but it was a lot. Whereas there were there were several times when when Costello stepped in and took questions that were firstly aimed to to Mike Snoozeby. but when when Mike did talk, he was he was you know he was erudite, he was able to speak. Uh, at, intelligently but also very clear that he's still coming up to speed so uh, you know I think it's probably too soon to to start forming views on that part of it yet but um but it wasn't a perfect handover
4: yeah and I think what I thought of when you were chatting there Tim is that you know he's coming into a company that's very different to the company that Hugh Marks stepped into you know there was multiple references to the fact that Nine was a one billion dollar company, which is where Stan is now when when Mark started. Now it's five billion dollars worth. So in terms of, you know, he's he's stepping into a company that's in a great position financially and in terms of success and dominance. But there's always also, you know, a lot further for him to fall should it should it not go well, should the board continue to kind of, you know, have reports in in their own papers that things aren't as peachy as peter costello might like us to believe
1: yeah i wonder whether um regardless of the rights and wrongs and the fact that there was some sort of reporting of question marks about golf club membership with um with nick falloon which i think went back to his fairfax days it feels like pragmatically maybe it's just going to have have to be time for him to leave the board
3: and it sounds like that decision uh, was mentioned yesterday uh, by Peter Costello, that that decision hadn't been made of the CEO until mid last week. We were all expecting maybe it would come out around the, the uh, financial uh, results, but clearly it was a, a lot closer to the wire than what it actually was. The one big question that it leaves now is who's going to be CEO of Stan, an extremely successful business in its own right, uh, Britt, you've been exploring that uh, a bit. Have you heard anything uh, about what the transition phase is now for Stan?
4: Well, I think when Sneezeby was announced yesterday, one of the first questions was, you know, will they replace him? And I think I Tim... I think it was me who asked the question. Tim, I was going to say it. You, you asked the question that is he going to continue leading that, that strategy or will he find a replacement? And... I very much enjoyed watching the live stream when the room erupted in laughter when you said, well, will the new CEO have the freedom that you have had in that role? And um, all we know at this stage is that there will be a new CEO appointed. Uh, I don't know, you know, who that could be. I don't really have a good feeling about, you know, picking a name out of that key executive team that that Sneesby's got in place there. Tim, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that. Well, look,
1: I certainly got the impression that he felt it would probably be an internal candidate. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I found myself thinking the other sort of general question about Stan that's going to be interesting anyway is it sprang to life as a joint venture between Fairfax and Nine, which was before the merger. But it carried on running as its own thing. And I, I think part of that was strategic because... They were probably open, maybe they still are, to the idea that maybe they'd sell a twenty-five percent or fifty percent share, potentially to one of the you know one of the kind of studios out of the US or something to to guarantee the sort of you know the the content in the future. So I think one of the questions will be: Is is that still a strategic option, or is it time for Stan to become a, a much greater part of the Nine culture? Uh, so that's that's going to be fascinating, really, because you know we've we, we've we've now obviously got Mike Sneesby, who lives and breathes Stan, running nine. So um, if it doesn't come in, then to me that's a real signal that they are still open to selling a stake in the
3: future. Coming up next, more chief executive appointments in Adland. Was not alone in naming new CEOs this week with UM Ogilvy Havas and Leo Burnett Sydney all appointing new leaders for IPG Media Brands. UM Anathea Rise will be returning to Australia to take the top job following the announcement that Fiona Johnston would be taking an international role at the holding company in London. Britt, you've been on top of this one, it's a big move for UM. Fiona Johnston had brought a, a considerable uh, amount of solidarity to UM and consistency to UM. What does this uh, change mean? And did we think that uh, Anathea Rise was in contention from the get go?
4: Yeah, I think she was an interesting appointment, obviously, has been in America for a while and is, is coming back. I mean, importantly, Johnston is from the UK originally, so it does signal, you know, getting closer to family, going back home. That's part of it, in addition to the job title and the the elevation itself. I think, you know, Johnston's incredibly well respected in this market. She's done a lot for UM and that agency. I think, you know, there's still a ways to go in it being considered in the same breath as an initiative, which I think is a lot more brash and kind of market focused and and forward in terms of promoting itself. So I think it will be interesting to see if Rise continues that, you know, understated head down, bum up, get the job done but don't make too much of a big deal out of it kind of approach or if she has a different approach. Again, you know, she's um, she's not a complete unknown to the market but she's an unknown in that CEO role in that market, in this market.
3: Which is interesting, of course, though, because UM originally way back when with Matt Baxter uh, as CEO, you would have argued that that, that was the brash in your face. <laughs> agency that was doing pretty cool and interesting things An initiative at that time was very very low-key what uh, is IPG what's Mark Code looking for here in terms of UM moving forward
4: maybe you're talking about the Matt Baxter effect there because you know he became hopped over to initiative has this week also been promoted to chair of initiative and has stepped stepped out of that global CEO role I think You know, Mark Code, again, someone who has gravitas, has a reputation in this market, isn't a Matt Baxter figure, isn't as outspoken as Matt Baxter, but, you know, works very, very closely with Lee Terry, who's in that that APAC role. They're very good friends. So I think... Mark Code's vision for this market is very similar to what Lee Terry's vision for this market is and that's consistency and growth. I think that Initiative and UM can have slightly different reputations and slightly different offerings and and slightly different things that come to mind when you think of each of those brands because of course, you know, they're led by different people and they're going to have different clients and all of the rest of it. But I think that, you know, it's less about it's less about, you know, Mark Code's vision revolutionising what they do and more about whether or not I think Rise continues on from Johnston's approach or shakes things up a bit.
1: Yeah and I think you make a really good point mentioning some of the people who've sort of come before or contributed because of course I think any agency actually sort of imbues into it little parts of the culture from different people you know so you you go back to when you know as universal McCann as it was an initiative where we're kind of running their own races and then Henry Tager was the sort of one who put it together and became uh, IPG Media Brands chair was his title but then became executive chair and sort of almost ran it as one before going off overseas taking Matt Baxter with him to that role and then then when you know when henry left the organization in the us by then matt had stepped up to this um initiative role um as a side note it's really fascinating there's a there's a part of this story that can't be told yet because matt won't just go off to be chairman there's there's something bigger coming along because he's you know he's super hungry he's s- super you know s- super talented super thoughtful so I wonder what the big role is that's being lined up for him um, certainly feels like this there's, there's 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 something in the sidelines there uh, but yeah but you know then 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 locally as you say you know we've got this culture which um it's starting to look more and more like an omnicom culture really because you got Lee Terry came across um, you've got this slightly weird thing where they've swapped places so you know when I first knew mark code and Lee Terry mark Uh, mark was uh mark was lee's boss rather than the other way around doesn't seem to bother them they all have their own roles and they sort of do them but but you know it's kind of um it it feels like it's kind of a slightly uh i'm trying to find the right word because i don't don't want to sound negative about them but it's a it's a it's a it's a kinder gentler organization now than you know perhaps the sort of you know the the in-your-faceness of it it's sometimes been at, at, at times with ipg
3: We'll move on to some of the other changes that we've seen recently and looking into WPPAUNZ where Ogilvy Managing Director Sally Kassane was named as its new CEO uh, and she replaces David Fox uh, who at the same time is going to be moving uh, to another role in the group uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Zoe, you guessed that the new CEO for Ogilvy uh, would come from within the network uh, so, what does this change to Ogilvy mean? Because, of course, they've renamed or rejigged it slightly. It's now uh, Ogilvy Australia Network that they're creating as well.
2: Yeah, so it didn't really come as a surprise to me at all that they hired their CEO internally. Like we said a couple of weeks back, Ogilvy had a number of managing directors, I think there were four, who had all either been with Ogilvy or with WPP for you know around 10 years each Sally Kissane, who was made CEO, has been with Ogilvy since 1996 overseas and then became the MD in Sydney in 2018. Yeah, I've had a number of people say to me fairly recently that retaining the top talent is going to be a huge issue for WPP and for CEO Jens Monsees as he continues to go through this transformation plan, making moves to bring agencies together, whether that be for a financial reason, or whether it be so that the group can continue to evolve. I mean, you can look as far back at the mergers of the White Agency and Grey Group, YNR and VML, and Wonderman and JWT. All of those CEOs have now left. And looking back at my chat with Jens Monsees from a couple of weeks ago, I think it did emerge: talent is becoming an issue that is on. His horizon. So to be clear about the formation of the Ogilvy Australia Network, that's bringing together Ogilvy Health, Ogilvy the creative agency and OPR. There's no one leader of that. So together there's Sally Kissane, Richard Brett, the CEO of OPR has added Ogilvy Health to his remit. There's Chief Experience and Innovation Officer Jason Davey and now there's Uh, Chief Operating Officer Dave Sayer. So the four of them together all lead that network as one and I think that the formation of that network really just again feeds into sort of the way that Jens Moncees is consolidating those brands together, strengthening that Ogilvy brand and I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the global links to Ogilvy should the takeover go through. The only other thing I wanted to sort of point out on that note of maintaining that top agency talent, I think the expansion of Richard Brett's remit is an interesting one and I think it could be an indicator as well of just like adding more to his responsibilities to keep him happy, to make him feel like he's still moving up within the business because for something like WPP, such a massive business, if once you get to the top of your respective agency brand, where do you go to from there?
3: He's been a mainstay at Ogilvy PR, of course, for, for a few years now, so a, a good uh, move to keep him uh, in the business and giving him some new roles. I'm going to very tenuously use your VML y uh, pointer to go into the next uh, CEO move where Leo Burnett uh, has announced uh, that uh, – Emma Montgomery will be returning to become the Sydney CEO uh, after a stint in Chicago. Now, that's the first Sydney CEO that uh, Leos has had since Pete Bozulkovsky. There's my VML y uh, little connection. Of course, he's now moved uh, to Clemenger, Sydney. But interesting move uh, by Leos to announce a new CEO. Was this something that really had to happen uh, at this stage to, to get them firing, Tim?
1: Look, they had a bit of a shot at having a national structure. This is one of those weird things where, for some reason, media agencies don't seem to struggle too much to have a national structure. You know, they'll have the Sydney office, a Melbourne office, sometimes some other um, sort of, you know, capital city offices as well. But for whatever reason, creative agencies don't usually seem to pull it off. So Melinda Gertz was always seen as a real force in the Melbourne market. um, And... Leo Sydney when when she took that on it's not not necessarily her fault at all because I think it probably had issues already but you know a weird little insight I got was when Mumbrella was looking for new space with our with our new owners diversified you know we we went and looked at some a few office spaces and we were just being shown around by a real estate guy and so we wandered in kind of effectively anonymously and I didn't even realize till I walked through the door we were shown um Leo's Sydney office down in the rocks So normally, you know, you get the rah, rah, rah if you come in as a journalist. It just felt dead walking in. There was no roar of culture. There was no atmosphere. We walked out to the back, which looked like the creative, no, the front rather. We looked in a sort of, you know, kind of bit of a corner that seemed like the creative area and there was someone asleep. You know, it was was so unimpressive. and that was probably a year and a half ago, maybe not that long ago. So you know, definitely, it's it's if they're going to do something, then it's time to it's time to fire up because you know you, you had that wall of uh, uh, canned lions um, up on the shelf, but when you looked at the dates, they are pretty old.
3: And to round out this segment, Havas has named Simone Gupta as CEO of Havas PR, adding the leadership of Red Havas to her existing remate as CEO of One Green Bean. The appointment comes after the departure of Sarah Trombretto from Red in February. Zoe, does this mean merger is on the horizon with uh, Red Havas and One Green Bean?
2: That was one of my first thoughts, and I know it was yours as well, Damo, but I have been assured that, quote, there is no merger planned between Red Havas and One Green Bean. And interestingly, in the release, they were very careful to stress how unique and different the two businesses were, which also made me think, then how do those client conflicts get played out? So the answer to that is that it will get taken on by a case-by-case basis, seeing as Simone will be the only person across the two businesses. It's an interesting one because... There's sort of two ways that I can see this going. Um, When Sarah resigned, they promoted Steve Fontenot from Havas Boulevard, the group's experience and production arm, to MD of Red Havas. And quickly, Simone has taken over the leadership of Red Havas over the top of him. And the way that the release makes it out, I do wonder whether he's getting, you know, raised up to then later become CEO of Red. Otherwise, the other way I see it going is bringing in a managing director of One Green Bean to sit on the same level as him for them to both then report into Simone.
1: I think the one thing I'd add is that um, One Green Bean is a really great local PR brand and once local brands end up inside multinational holding groups, in the end they die.
3: Next up, Xander's going to chat with Triple M's Mike Fitzpatrick. The Mumbrella Awards are back in person for 2021 to celebrate the best work and talent across the marketing, advertising, media, production, PR and communication sectors. With the first entry deadline on April 9, review the 31 categories, discuss them with your team and start thinking about those submission ideas. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella awards for more information.
0: So the start of 2021 saw several of Australia's big radio networks reach for the reset button and a whole stack of new flagship breakfast shows were launched across metro markets. Next week, GFK releases the first radio ratings of the year. But before that happens... Head of the Triple M Network, Mike Fitzpatrick, joins us on the Mumbrella cast. Fitzy, thanks for taking the time to have a chat.
5: No worries, Sander. Thanks for having me on.
0: Southern Cross Australia's rock-driven Triple M format is one of the biggest in the country across its network, with stations in regional Australia as well as metro markets. Previously, Triple M's syndicated shows were broadcast on Mix 94.5 in Perth, for lack of a Triple M station there. But in 2021, that all changed and SCA launched Triple M Perth, We'll get our first look at Perth's ratings performance next week for Triple M, but Fitzy, talk me through a bit of the process of launching your newest radio station.
5: It's funny, you know, I've I've worked at Triple M for three years, I think, this year, and uh, and I've worked at many of the, the Triple M stations, but I've never, and we've changed a lot of them over from their their original brands. You know, we, we changed KO over to Triple M, 4TO over to Triple M, but I've never launched a brand new Triple M in a metro market. Um, so that was really exciting for a start to be able to, to, you know, to work from the ground up. And in hindsight, what we've been uh, uninhibited by is a lack of real understanding of what the brand stands for broadly in that market. You know, the Triple M existed briefly in, in Perth before on 96 back in the mid-90s and it was a pop station then, and you know that was 20 something years ago so really other than triple m football and the occasional podcast of of our uh, east coast shows there hasn't really been a broader understanding of what the triple m brand stands for there's certainly been an awareness but not really an understanding so we were able to create that brand from the ground up you know, from the first song we decided to put in the playlist to how we cast the shows and how we talk to the audience, the the, the type of irreverence and packaging we put on the air. So that was that was a real uh, a sense of freedom in doing that. And uh, it started with hiring the right content director, and Tim Arnold, who had had worked on that frequency previously as the content director of Hit ninety two point nine had only ever been, you know, he'd worked at Fox and he'd worked at Nova and B105, but he'd never worked at a Triple M before. So I thought what Tim brought was a really fresh perspective on the brand and true to form, he has been such uh, an amazing, fresh mind on that radio station. His creativity, I think, is second to none. And so what we've got is a really unique sounding Triple M within our within our brand, you know, our brand parameters. But for some reason that... <laughs> Triple M Perth just sounds so fresh and new and it's, it's it's the same songs and the same ideas but for some reason it's got this really nice freshness to it and and i think that's uh that's exciting and you can hear it coming through the speakers as well from the breakfast show with with, with Basil Zave and Jenner and and whilst Basil, when we first started, was a given, we knew we wanted Basil. We didn't know what we were going to do with Zave and Jenna So that really came together as we started to demo the shows. Um, we've got an amazing workday lineup. You know, uh, Dan Leach comes from a Triple M regional in Bunbury and and Kat Lynch, of course, was at, at SAFM originally and was a breakfast uh, announcer, uh, but also filling in on Triple M Sydney. Uh, we're calling her the Duchess of Rock and she's really owned that space and has become very quickly one of the best of rock presenters of the world. And I, I, that's not hyperbole. She really is. And we're blessed on Triple N to have some amazing rock presenters. But she's fantastic. And then, you know, Malloy fits nicely. The new Marty Sheargold show fits nicely. And then to have a locally based and created rush hour um, with Andrew, Andrew Embley and, and Lockie Reed is also uh, a benefit. And even our nighttime lineup with Danny Lakey. Danny's from Perth. He grew up in Perth and went to school in Perth. So, you know, he's a local. Uh, so it's a it's a really exciting and fresh lineup on a, on a, on what is essentially a new brand in Perth.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Basil there. I mean, that was going to be my next question. Obviously, a big name personality in the Perth market um, was was leading it with a with a big name like him. Something that was always going to be key to doing something like this, and and was waiting around for the for the right person. One of the reasons why we haven't seen triple m perth launch before now really in its current form
5: um i think the reason we haven't seen a triple m launch in perth before was was the success of mix 94.5 as such a strong brand and a strong uh you know strong performing radio station from both a revenue and a, and a ratings point of view and it because it was part of the triple m network it hadn't really been considered until and dave cameron and i were, were talking last year around you know the potentials in perth and it it really highlighted this to us that that whilst Mix was part of the Triple M network, it was a real disparity between our brand, Fit, and that brand, and it always lent itself more to the hit network, and I always felt there were kind of like two hit stations, just a slightly older one and a younger one. So launching Triple M with a name like Basil, to answer the first part of your question, was not part of the strategy initially. It was can we put a Triple M into Perth, and then and then it a became how can we create a breakfast show that's going to be different from every other show? You know, that, that's how I, li- I like to program. I don't like to program to be better. I, I like to program to be different um, because, in my opinion, different wins and, you know, better is so subjective, different is not. Uh, and, and Basil just made sense. He was, you know, for all intents and purposes, an Eddie-style character in Perth and was able to bring something different to radio that didn't exist over there, which is a relevant news-based, what's happening in Perth today style show. And one of the, the KPIs we put on the show is if I can take the show and replay it in any other market on any other day, then it's failing. It needs to be relevant to the day and it needs to be relevant to the market, so much so that if I come in and don't understand what you're talking about because it's so Perth then you're doing a good
0: job. <laughs> yeah fair play um and are you committed to giving that show at least a couple of years to bet in carve out a chunk get attribution all those sorts of things
5: of course there's no point putting shows in and then knee-jerking I think we've demonstrated certainly on the triple M network over the years that um commitment to shows and and loyalty to shows pays off you know, we, we had a, an 11-year run with the Hot Breakfast. We had a 10-year run with the Grill Team. We've had an 11-year run with the Rush Hour in Melbourne. Roo and Ditz have had seven years in Adelaide. Marto's been on Triple M Brisbane for 20 years. You know, we don't need you. We know that the audience likes familiarity. And when we find something that works, we keep it. And when we find something that doesn't quite resonate, we find a way to help it achieve what it needs to achieve it's really easy for people to look at ratings and go 10 plus you know you're not rating 10 plus but anyone that's really judging the success of their show on a 10 plus and not digging down into the figures is 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 not being honest you know 10 plus you can be number 1 10 plus and have no share over 25 and all of your share you know 10 to 24 it, it, it's a false economy we really look at the numbers and and our target demos and how we make Right, the most revenue as a business, and that's what matters for us. So, we'll absolutely give it the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned um, there, uh, Eddie Maguire. Um, it was a show on in Melbourne that was really a game changer when it launched in two thousand and nine. That's something that you've you've mentioned before as well. Marty Sheargold, obviously a great talent. But just reflecting back on on Eddie and that show and the various people that came through that show. What are your thoughts on the show that that legacy will leave for Australian radio when it when we look back on it? Perhaps when it, you know its departure isn't quite quite as raw as it is right now.
5: I think it's it will always be regarded as as one of the, the great uh, radio breakfast successes because it really did remind people that FM radio didn't just need to be and, and I use the term. Um, I want to use a term, I'm trying to find a way to say this, that's not going to offend everybody. Uh, it, it, it sort of, it, it made us realise that FM radio didn't just need to be trite. And I'm not saying that we always created trite radio, but we did try hard a lot of the time. And, and it could be a really lean in what's happening right now, relevant experience so to the point that when we first started that show, it, the number one complaint we got was if I wanted to listen to um news and talk back, I'd listen to AM. It was so uncommon to hear a show like that on FM, and I think that's its legacy. It, it, it proved that radio is radio no matter where you are or what what platform you're on, and as long as you're engaging and, and being relevant to your audience, that's what matters.
0: Yeah, and and on its replacement, Marty Sheargold, um, how did that come about? Um, I know you've spoken a little bit about this before. Were there any other names on the table for that show? And And I guess after... A tough few years in the ratings, not necessarily in general, but compared to the numbers that Eddie was putting up a few years back. Is Marty the man to get Triple M Melbourne back to, I guess, where Eddie had it a few years ago?
5: Well, to my, to my point earlier, if you're just looking at 10+, plus, then, yeah, you would say that. But the thing to remember is Eddie smashed our target demos every day of the week. You know, it's no, no secret that we're a, a, we generally target men between 25 and 54, that that's just where our format le- uh, leads. You know, in rock, sport and comedy, leans male. But 40%, and often in some markets, 45% of our audience is female. It doesn't mean that that audience can't enjoy our product. But, you know, the way that uh, we're, we're set up is to win men hands down and deliver that audience for our advertisers. And Eddie did that every day of the week and smashed them. Um, the 10 plus is a bonus, you know. It's, it's an ego number, really. It's nice to be able to say we're number one, 10 plus, but it's not what we judge the show on. Can Marty deliver that? Absolutely. Otherwise, we wouldn't have put him in there. Is he going to do it straight away? No. I'd be surprised and happily surprised if that happens on survey day. But I think, to your point, we need to give shows time and we need to give time for the audience to find the show. There are very few shows in radio that can do what Alan Jones or Kyle and Jack did, which is take the audience with them immediately. Marty's is a new show. It's not the show he did um at nova it's not the show he did previously at triple m it's a brand new show it's called the marty gold show it has a new cast around him it has a new team around him and it's finding an audience again that uh he that haven't experienced him for a while and if you're an audience that's tuning in into triple m to, to experience news and football as you were with the hot breakfast you're not going to get that with marty so there'll be a lot of churn, and we're fully prepared for that and we expect it and, and marty is uh, is really um you know, able to sit back and understand that as well. In fact, he's the one that said this is going to take a while and we, we all agree on that. It would be wonderful to see numbers up early that indicate, um, you know, he, he's going to be a huge success. But we'll just be watching our, our, our key demos and our target demos and using our ears. And my ears tell me it's going to be a great show. It's funny. Every break is funny and it's it is really engaging and it sounds like nothing else on radio dynamically it sounds different from every other show in melbourne
0: yeah and i guess just looking at uh how listener habits changed uh more broadly during covid um we saw the sorts of trends like a, a higher desire for news do you think we'll see a shift back to to music driven stations in the ratings over the first six months of this year and and you know how, how if so how will that benefit triple m um
5: You know, the COVID thing is interesting. We obviously saw a a real swing towards streaming um, during COVID uh, with more people working from home. Uh, Radio, I've always said radio solves a problem for people and depending on what your problem is, that's, you know, you want to be the radio station that solves that problem for that person. If you're a sports station, you're solving a problem for a person who wants to hear about sport non-stop. (laughs) Um, Do I think the return to work and post-COVID will benefit Radio. I think that there will be some people who um, have discovered online listening and streaming for the first time that will continue to stream now as their primary way of of, uh, accessing radio content. I think during the COVID period, people discovered uh, podcasting. A lot of people, people that may not have discovered podcasting is looking for content, and so we've seen... Audio on demand, downloadable audio on demand content grow, and you know our our, our latest um, investment and and um, turn to to uh, to streaming via the listener platform has is, is hopefully demonstrating that to the industry that we believe in this content and we believe this is where the audience is. We've seen it with our own eyes, and I think. You know, with more people in cars and less people on public transport, every city I, I, I talk to and every city I'm in, I see that the roads are filling up again worse than they were before. That's only going to benefit radio. And radio is radio. Whether it's live and in the moment or it's on podcast or it's streaming on a, on a phone um, or in a smart car, it, to me, is irrelevant. The platform is irrelevant. It's, it's It's just a way of accessing the content that we create. And we've seen across the world consumption of audio content increase. And I can't see any reason why that would go backwards. Especially, you know, the thing that we don't give everyone credit for is, yes, audiences have come to podcasting during COVID, but also the amount, the the quantity of quality podcasting that exists in the world now is exponentially larger than it was Twelve months ago, two years ago, three years ago, you know, we've we've seen that people are leaning into creating quality podcasts. There were already hundreds of thousands of podcasts, but now there's more higher quality podcasts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, coming back to a point you mentioned before about the importance of 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 localism, and and you mentioned the importance of having that that local uh, rush hour show, local breakfast show in building up the Perth radio station. I just wanted to talk to you about localism in terms of Triple M's regional offerings. Uh, I spoke with Grant Blackley last week about uh, SES financial results um, particularly the fact that 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 in the second half of, of last year there was growth in regional radio revenue and and while he said the company won't be bringing back its hit network local breakfast shows um, he did say that Triple M will continue to offer that. Um, can you guarantee that Triple M's breakfast shows will will remain in, in the regional markets they're in for the foreseeable future? And, and 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 I guess what what's the perspective from from your point of view on on the importance of of regional localism to Triple M and the brand in general?
5: It's incredibly important, right? You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a country radio boy. I started in country radio when I was 15 years old, and I listened to country radio every night as, as growing up as a kid. Um, and I understand and appreciate the importance of those communities being able to access local information as newspapers aggregate more and more national content and remove locally printed mastheads and move online and TV networks move away from local news and more to national news and and online sites uh, aren't able to deliver what's happening in their communities other than via Facebook groups um, it's really now more important than ever that we provide local news services and local content and access to local shows and information. Now, obviously, those that information and news is going to come through mainly in breakfast shows. Um, it's no secret that we network regional um, workdays in, in some stations, but where we're required to in terms of, and by required, I don't mean by ACMA, I mean required to because the, um, the town demands it or the community demands it if there's a flood. If there's a cyclone, if there's local breaking news, we go local on those stations and we cover that. If that we have the staff there. It doesn't mean we don't do it. Um, we lean into local and even more so with listener. You know, we're creating local minicasts and, and, and content and local news content. And it's important to us that local content be available both in a linear live fashion on FM AM radio as well as in an on-demand, uh, on-demand platform. So we'll be continuing to create local content where we can and and while ever we have those um though that obligation in in those markets
0: yeah fantastic and any last minute predictions for for the first ratings next week or is that tempting fate asking you that (laughs) it's uh it's anyone's
5: (laughs) i don't know if i could if i could predict the future Then i probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you i'd be uh i'd be, be be sitting in a you know, at the back of a, a, a small business somewhere with a crystal ball and a tea towel
0: over my head. <laughs> Fair enough. Well Fitzy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it and um best of luck for next week. Xander, thank you, mate. Nice to see you.
3: And that's it for this week. But before we go, Mumbrella 360 returns face to face this July with three venues, four streams, and the most forward-thinking leaders in the Australian industry. With focus on local challenges and opportunities. Hear the latest knowledge and experience the networking opportunities you need to make the most of 2021. Whether you're a brand, agency or media owner, this is an event not to be missed. Book your early bird tickets now and save $300 at mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360. That's it for this week though. Thanks everyone for joining me. Thanks, Tama. Thanks. Thanks. Thank
0: you.